rhetoric in its simplest definition is the art of persuasion. So how, you know, how, how do we do that? How do we engage the reader, the listener? Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Director of Marketing. Our goal is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. Well, hello, Andrew. Today we're going to talk about something that you had mentioned that we should talk about in a podcast. I'm sure there's a, Uh-oh. a an English verb tense for that, where we were, we're going to talk about something in the future, but we recorded that in the past. <laughs> well, if when we recorded it, I said we will have discussed sometime in the future— then that would be future perfect tense. But I don't think that's what it was. No, I think it was more like, hey, this is a really great idea. We should talk about this at a future podcast. Yes. What tense is that? But if I were (laughs) seeing, well, that would just be present tense. We should. Mm. Conditional. Okay. Or subjunctive. (laughs) We don't think about that much in English, (laughs) do we? Um, But in this case... Uh, this morning, we were talking about what podcast we would do today. Tis true. Because sometime in the last year, we had been talking about persuasion. That's that right. That would be the pluperfect. Before this morning, we had been. <laughs> Maybe we're just doing obscure grammar tenses. That's right. So in case you... Wanted to know, listener, whether or not Andrew knows grammar. He does. So there I, we go. I know grammar exists. <laughs> yes, and we'll put a link in the show notes to Andrew's talk. But 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 what about grammar? <laughs> and <laughs> but I need to having said to that all that, yes, having said all that, you had suggested that we have a conversation about influence. And persuasion. Yes. Well, you know, persuasive writing is quite the buzz. Mm -hmm. Very often you'll look at state standards or published standards that want to have students do persuasive writing. And then they will have students practice with all sorts of prompts, Mm -hmm. such as, do you think the students in the school should have to clean the school? you know, argue for or against this position. Mm-hmm. And and it's kind of an exercise. So, you know, what what's the goal? You know, if, if you're if you're setting a standard for students to do persuasive writing, what are you hoping they will learn? I must confess that when you said what's the standard, I was thinking of cleaning the school. I mean that would be pretty difficult to get kids to oh, clean the school, right? To a very high to standard. To a very high standard. Sorry. <laughs> So what is the standard? What what is what is the goal? Right. You know, if if this is the standard, we want ninth graders to be able to do persuasive writing. Mm-hmm. How do you define that? 
-hmm. How do you teach it? How do you determine whether they were successful? And, you know, ultimately, what's the whole purpose of this as a standard? Right. You know, it's like we actually need to teach middle school students how to argue. <laughs> I think they're pretty good at it. Well, they are. But maybe if we taught them to do it in a better way, hmm. then they would understand the art of argument. Mm -hmm. And they would understand the art of persuasion. Ah. And, of course, what's the value of understanding that? Well, you can get what you want. Maybe. But, but ultimately, I think it would be being able to understand the different tactics, if you would say it that sure. way, yeah. that might be being used on you to yes. persuade you to do something. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So it's like a game of chess, mm -hmm. right? I mean, you're in marketing. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> I love this conversation. So it's, you know, it's, it's all about persuasion, but mm -hmm. there's tricks and then there's truth. Right. And then there's tricks to use truth and then there's truthless tricks. <laughs> Which we try not to use in our promotional strategies, sure, letting people not. know who we are. Yeah. Right. No, we, I mean, we, we want to be authentic. We believe mm -hmm. that we are a high integrity company <laughs> yes. and that everything we sell has value mm -hmm. and that everything we sell is worth what people pay for it. Mm -hmm. And then our task is to convince people mm -hmm. to notice that, I guess. Right. Or not even to convince them, to just right. lead them. But there are some principles mm -hmm. that we would use. Right. And I remember sitting in your office, oh, 10 years ago, and you handed me this article on the art of persuasion. Uh, yeah, I think it was actually called the science of oh, persuasion. Right, exactly. Which is interesting because you could go mm -hmm. on a rabbit trail here, the difference between an art and a science. Mm -hmm. But it was in Scientific American Mind back mm -hmm. in 2004. Oh, okay. And uh, I remember reading it and thinking, wow, that is very useful. Mm -hmm. Useful on a practical level of just having a product and providing it to the world. It's useful for teaching kids who are involved in say, competitive speech or debate, mock trial, things like that. And, of course, from the study of rhetoric, you know, there's, there's the ancient kind of classical rhetoric approach. And then there's the more modern, scientifically supported rhetoric approach. And there's a huge overlap between mm -hmm. the two. Right, right. And I, I thought this is, this is kind of that. So one of the things that I notice is that a lot of people use this term persuasive writing mm -hmm. and then they define it as have an opinion and give reasons for your opinion. Mm -hmm. Although, does that really persuade anyone? Mm. I suppose if the reasons were overwhelmingly compelling, it might. But it's not a very strategic way to mm. go about shifting an opinion. Right. If you know, if if you have a strong opinion and, and you're trying to persuade someone, the odds are the person you're trying to persuade has a different opinion. If theirs was the same, you wouldn't be trying to persuade them. You'd be having a mutual appreciation for what you believe right. discussion. Right. 
or a cheerleading club. Right. <laughs> but to, to shift an opinion, mm-hmm. you have to do a whole lot more than just give reasons mm-hmm. as to why you think something. Mm-hmm. So I, I believe a lot of what is done in the world of persuasive writing prompts and teaching persuasive writing is not actually that. Mm-hmm. In, in a similar way to you're, you're almost in a death trap when you say uh, we're going to teach critical thinking because who can define it? Right. How do you teach it? You know, uh, there's so many people have so many different opinions with so varied levels of effectiveness. Right. And we've had podcasts on critical thinking in the past. Yes, we have. So uh, I Whatever would, that is. I would <laughs> try to define, and I think we do in our Unit 8 materials, <laughs> argumentative writing is when you say, here's what I think and here's the reasons. Mm-hmm. You know, you have an, you, you argue, but you're not necessarily doing it in such a way that you believe it would change the opinion. Right. You're not being very persuasive. You're just arguing. Right. So rhetoric in its simplest definition is the art of persuasion. So how, you know, how, how do we do that? How do we engage the reader, the listener? Well, probably the, the simple principle we teach is the starting point in Unit 8, mm-hmm. and that is rather than make a thesis statement, rather than tell the reader, this is what I believe, this is my opinion, you know, here's the perspective I'm going to argue, shift and change that into a question. Right. Because that draws the reader in and – and I always tease the high school students and I say, well, let's say I had an opinion that the driving age in the United States in all 50 states should be raised to 18 years old. OK, if that's my opinion and I say that in the first few sentences of a, an editorial or an essay or something, who's going to read it? The, the, the students, the kids, the adults who believe that that should be. Yeah, the few people that could say, oh, wow, that sounds like a great idea. Let's see why he thinks that. Right. Who's going to throw it in the garbage? Anybody who's probably a 16-year-old yeah, wanting to get their license. <laughs> exactly. So I just use that as an illustration. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the problems with writing is in the real world, we don't have a captive audience. Mm. You know, if I walk in and give a talk in a lecture hall, I have pretty much a captive audience. There may be a few people who are bold enough to stand up and walk out in a huff. <laughs> right. But for the most part, People are there. They mm-hmm. can't easily close their ears. They're kind of forced to hear me. Mm-hmm. But if I send something in writing, mm-hmm. well, I've got no captivity at all. Mm-hmm. They will decide in a very short period of time whether this looks interesting and worth reading or not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that's why we would recommend then that first step of persuasive writing begin with a question. Right. Draw the reader in because then then the reader wants to know, oh, okay, is this person smart like me or stupid like everybody else? (laughs) You know, it's kind of human nature. Right, right. We seek to hear things that support what we believe and know. Mm -hmm. We're very cautious when we hear things that challenge what we believe or know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's human nature. So if someone wants to change our belief, it's got to be – a gentle but strategic process. Right. So uh, this guy, Robert uh, Cialdini, I mm-hmm. believe is how you would pronounce it, mm-hmm. came up with these six 
elements of persuasion that I thought, well, you know, we use these in marketing, we use these in parenting. Oh, my. Mm -hmm. We use these in teaching, mm -hmm. and we use some of these in writing as well. So um, I don't know what, what order uh, they were in the original article, mm -hmm. but we can just go down the list I have here. The first one is uh, reciprocity. So that just means um, receiving reciprocity, receiving and giving. So, you know, if I give you something, you will subconsciously believe that you need to do something for me. And it's difficult to not do that. It is difficult. You know, I got my sister a Christmas present this year, and I told her she was not allowed to get me a present back uh -huh. just because I wanted to thank her with this Christmas present. Uh -huh. And that was difficult for her, but... It's, so, yeah, reciprocity, very powerful. Well, but now she's got to sit around and think about how to give something back to you that isn't a Christmas present. <laughs> right. But, you know, certain cultures, this is so deeply ingrained. Sure. I lived in Japan for right. several years, mm -hmm. and it's it's gift-giving showdown to the death. Yes. Um, you My know. husband's half Japanese. We benefited from their generosity. I don't think we – I don't think I understood the – nuances of reciprocity, at least in the Japanese culture, when yeah. we first got married. But we use this in, in marketing. You know, someone mm -hmm. says, here, have a free <laughs> download of this. Mm -hmm. And we get it and we think, oh, thank you. Mm -hmm. I'm more likely to say, oh, I'll, I'll buy something, mm -hmm. you know, from them. Or, or at least give them a second look. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or we share freely mm -hmm. and that creates a desire for people to, to give back something. Right. Right. Uh, why do we get the loads and loads of unsolicited testimonial notes. Why do we? Yeah, why do Because people we? are really grateful. They're grateful. For the wonderful lessons they've learned from us. Yeah. So it's a it's a human compulsion. Hmm. To so they've received something from us, and mm -hmm. so in turn they're paying us back, so to speak, with their testimonial. Right. And, of course, we're compelled to say, oh, thank you for saying that, and then we want to. We want to give them a yeah. free thing for taking the time <laughs> yes. to. Right, yeah. <laughs> So that's that's a principle of moving someone. Mm -hmm. it, it also works in a rhetorical way where you give a little bit of ground, mm. right? Oh, so, right. So um, I, I have this type of opinion. Well, I can understand how people may have a different feeling on this or a different view or a different perspective. Mm -hmm. So I can empathize, right? So empathy and reciprocity are connected to some degree. However, if we step back and look at it from this different angle, right, rather than saying, I'm quite sure your opinion is wrong. Now, please look at it at my angle. <laughs> right. right. So nobody likes to hear that. Right. So that reciprocity works in the, in the marketing world. It works in the social world. And in the rhetorical world, we, we can look at it as an openness to acknowledging the opposing view. And I would say to teachers, you know, when I watch you teach, Andrew, you're teaching a group of students and you are kind to them, you affirm them, and sometimes there's a little bit of uh, mischief happening and you just ignore that and you give affirmation to those who are doing good and they in turn want to get affirmation from you. So there's a reciprocity right there. And the students who might be mischievous will say, oh, I want some of that too, mm -hmm. right? So yeah. I, that's, that's really powerful. Consistency is the second one. 
And this term, I think, needs a little explanation because you might misread it as saying you're consistent in the way you do something. Mm -hmm. What he's talking about is essentially using people's commitment to gain their respect, to gain their business, to gain their uh, willingness to hear your position. Hmm. One of the tricks that I learned early on in my public speaking training was if you ask the audience a question, especially, a, you know, how many of you or who has mm -hmm. type of question, if you want them to respond, mm -hmm. raise your own hand mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. when you ask the question. If you don't raise your hand, very few people will raise their hand, so you're not really getting an interaction. Mm -hmm. If you raise your hand, people feel free. Oh, okay, yeah, me too. Right. Me too. Mm -hmm. And so that idea of getting their commitment to communicate, mm -hmm. you know, is effective in that way. It also leads to the next idea of social validation. Right. So, oh, if ever if the people if people around me are raising their hand and I feel that way too, right? Like yes, I've overcorrected my students' papers. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. I can referring to the four deadly errors. Right. Yeah. yeah. The other thing would would be now how many of you are willing to go out and try this? Right. Raise a hand. Well, if if it's a good idea, and people are somewhat confirmed or convicted, and you elicit that that response right right who's going to go try raise your hand okay the fact that they did that is making a commitment to which they are more likely to be consistent right uh, of course you know a lot of sales and marketing people will use this technique on cold calling you know mm -hmm. when is a good time for me to get back with you mm -hmm. if they say a time they're making a commitment to essentially be willing to talk to you at that certain time. Right, right. Rather than, would it be okay if I try to call you again? Right. Right. Do you right. See, the, see the difference there? I think we had a whole uh, session on this in our, yes. <laughs> in our office, office not, not too, too long, long ago. ago. Yeah. So, you know, with writing, it's obviously a little harder to extract a commitment because you don't have interaction, you don't have gestures and, and facial response to judge but you can you can presume that mm -hmm. that if you ask a question people in their mind are going to say yes i should do that yes that's that's your goal because if they make that mental commitment they'll be more consistent mm -hmm. in following through well and i'll just say to our listeners because you're not seeing us you're only hearing us andrew is literally raising his hand, and I feel so compelled to raise my <laughs> hand as well. It's true. Maria is not raising her hand. She's taking notes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, with the social validation, you know, that's something that is just overwhelmingly human. Mm -hmm. uh, all sorts of experiments have been done in Absolutely. this area. Yep. If you get someone standing up looking at, at the sky <laughs> – and then you get another person standing up looking at the sky and you got three or four people who've all been, you know, planning to do this. Mm -hmm. You'll pretty soon have people who weren't planning to come and look up at the sky exactly. standing near them looking up at the sky. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, we are very social creatures. 
in a great way. And it's funny, we, we have this intense desire to fit in and to be individuals. Yes. That's, that's probably the great angst of teenageness, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Is you're coming into this world of realizing that I need to be like lots of other people so that I fit in, but I also need to be myself. Right. And you know, how do we do that? It's part of the mystery of our creation. But in terms of a persuasive thing, mm-hmm. you, know, you can apply to both of those sides. So I have got the perfect car for you because I know you and mm-hmm. I know you would love this car. I mean, when I show this to you, you're going to say, that's me. <laughs> and then at the same time, you know, all the cool people drive this car, <laughs> right? So you, know, you, you get that kind of weird weirdness there. And we're all wondering what kind of car that is, but I guess it would depend on our individual. Yeah, needs. and so if, and it's not necessarily a bad thing. Mm-hmm. If we say, you know, that we've done a poll and mm-hmm. 82% of the teachers that have used our program in the classroom have experienced a very good result. Right. Right. Well, that's a valid fact that also encourages people to say, well, maybe it's worth a risk. Right. Maybe I could become one of those that mm-hmm. had very good results mm-hmm. using mm-hmm. this. Right. When you get into deception, right, then that's that's, that's where yeah. we we get afraid of this idea. Uh, one that remi- that I'm reminded of because you and I are old enough to remember <laughs> as young children, there were once, Maria won't believe this, but once upon a time, there were cigarette ads on television. That's true. Right? And I remember one and it said something like, Ninety percent of doctors who smoke smoke Marlboro. <laughs> and you're like, well, I guess then that would be the healthy cigarette. Wait a minute. Yeah, you know, wh- where's the fallacy there? Right, I mean, right. it's perhaps a true fact, mm-hmm. and I don't know if ninety percent was the real commercial. That's what sticks in my mind. But, mm-hmm. but that's where some critical thinking needs to come in. Right. You know, is it even a good idea? You know, our society today really capitalizes on this in that we're looking for reviews. You know, your mention of, you know, 82%, well, that's four stars. Five stars, I'll go to that restaurant. If this restaurant only has two stars, I don't think so. Hotel, yeah, we're very much, and it's so transparent now. We don't really have a choice. The public is deciding what that rating is. Yeah, and, uh, you know, why did you buy the car you bought? Got good reviews, Mm -hmm. you know. Yelp. Right, exactly. I mean, where are we going to eat? Uh, it's mm-hmm. kind of cutthroat. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it, it gets to a point where that, while it can be helpful, it can also be vindictive. Right. If you right? have trolls on your website yeah. saying bad things about you, or you, you, can't you are that. a professor mm-hmm. in a university mm-hmm. who requires students to come to class and read the texts and, and do their homework, do the homework <laughs> and turn in papers on time and, engage. Mm-hmm. And too many people don't like that, then that professor could get too many negative reviews. Right. And so, you know, there it's a double-edged sword, mm-hmm. but, you know, social validation. The next one I would think is, I guess if any of these were a strong point for me, I would hope 
that likability yes. would be a strong point. I think in teaching, very clearly, if you know the students like you, mm-hmm. it's just so much easier to challenge them, to talk to them, to expect more from them. Yes. So I tend to work on that idea of likability mm-hmm. and humor fits in. And we did a whole podcast on humor, didn't we? Yeah, we actually did a two-parter. A two-parter. So, mm-hmm. you know, anyone who missed that could go listen to some good jokes. Mm-hmm. But there, there's a science of humor, too. So how would you incorporate likability in your paper? Well, there's tone, mm-hmm. right? You you read something that makes you chuckle a little bit or mm. makes you smile or makes mm. you have an emotional reaction, brings up a strong memory, yes. uh, creates an image. Uh, all of those that touch on our humanity, mm-hmm. like our whole humanity, rather than just our, you know, our intellect. Y- you can tell right off. You can almost tell as soon as you start reading something if the writer likes you, mm-hmm. um, you know, likes writing for you, likes himself, herself, mm-hmm. likes whatever he's writing about. There's there's just this feeling rather than, you know, I'm going to do a detailed mm-hmm. analysis of something I really don't care about. I th- mm. think I, we see this for kids. If they're writing about something they're interested in, wow, the yep. creativity explodes. Yep. If they are forced to write about something they are less interested or distinctly not interested in, you know, they'll go through the motions. They'll do the sit-ups and push-ups, but they're not going to have that same zeal Mm -hmm. and it won't come through in their writing as Mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. So likability, excitedness, uh, in person, of course, smile is Mm -hmm. very powerful. There's Mm -hmm. a whole science of smiling. Mm -hmm. So how do you, you know, we say that, you can hear a customer service person yes. smiling mm-hmm. on the phone. Mm-hmm. So how, do, how does that smile come through in your writing as well? Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't know there's a easy formula for that one. <laughs> smile um, when you write. Hopefully. <laughs> hey, experiment. Yeah. <laughs> Authority. We, we all tend to lean strongly toward appreciating authority mm-hmm. um, if – someone has um, degrees or training or expertise that is evident, we're likely to take their we're likely to take their word right more than we would say of someone else. Right. And this is uh, I think an important logical training for mm-hmm. st- students as well is this appeal to authority. Mm-hmm. Is it really valid? Is you know, Madonna's opinion on what trade wars mm-hmm. or, or uh, tariffs, right? You know, as valid as an economics professor from Yale who served in, you know, the U.S. Department of Commerce. Who knows? You know, it it, it borders also on the problem of the fallacy of of origin, mm. like. That idea is bad because it came from a bad source. Right. Well, not necessarily. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. But when you're using authority, you can name drop appropriately. It can add to your case. Right. Right. And of uh, course, that's all you you talk about that in papers, just citing credible sources. Right. And more and more, we are uh, seeing the world demand. Mm-hmm. You know, 
everything has to have a citation and a mm-hmm. you know or a footnote or or an explanation or you know it's it's almost too dangerous now to say something without the authority right. behind it right um and then you know the last one is is scarcity, mm-hmm. which is a good one to come last at the end of a podcast where you're running out of time. <laughs> well, you're almost out of time because then you would say, "Oh, if only <laughs> we had more time and we could <laughs> unpack this further." Uh, then what does that cause in people? Well, they want to hear more. They want to hear more, mm-hmm. but you say, "No, sorry, this is all we've got." Right? You know, you're just going to have to come back some other time. You have very aptly described scarcity without actually giving a definition. Very good. (laughs) (laughs) Very persuasive. (laughs) So as Andrew has mentioned, we are out of time. Thank you, Andrew, for this delightful conversation about the art of persuasion. I hope parents and teachers, you'll be able to use some of these principles, but perhaps more importantly, help your student. We should give credit to the author, um, Mm -hmm. Robert Cialdini, Mm -hmm. C-I-A-L-D-I-N-I. He's got website. He's Mm -hmm. got uh, books, whole books on this subject. Uh, He's kind of this pioneer. Mm -hmm. Psychology marketing. Modern persuasiveness. And what's interesting, of course, is so much of what he talks about can be paralleled back to the classical rhetoric training Mm -hmm. that was done. Uh, But uh, anyone who wants to really learn more about this in a big way, I think, should go to the source. Right, indeed. All right. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, you can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, or just visit us each week at IEW.com slash podcasts. Until then, on behalf of Andrew Poudoua and the team at IEW, I thank you for the privilege of allowing us to partner with you on your journey toward better listening, speaking, reading, writing, and thinking.